church. Good morning. Welcome to our neighbors as well. When we sing songs like that, when I was a kid, I'll just share a story. When I was a kid, the, the church experience that I had was that everything was really polished and we never talked about how, really, really never talked about how anything was difficult, but we just were like, no, this Jesus is going to get us through. Jesus will get us through. But I became fascinated as a teenager with people who would talk about the dark times. Um, and so that got me into a lot of uh, <laughs> heavier music. Um, a lot more angry music, and but the, it wasn't so much the angst and the anger that I was drawn to, but just the fact that people would call things what they were. And so to sing together in the shadow, in the darkness, when I feel alone, to, to say that, those, those things are true, and that happens sometimes, but then also to say, oh God, you're near. In times where I feel far from you, you still are near. And... Uh, perhaps we have felt dark times. Perhaps we have felt overwhelming times. Perhaps we have felt attacked by, on every side, not only from people who ought to be our friends, you know, our family, our coworkers, people that we go to school with. We'd feel attacked sometimes because of various different reasons. And then there's times where we feel attacked by people that we kind of know, like they're, they don't follow Jesus. Like, of course, they're going to be critical of Jesus. So that makes sense. Um, but how do we navigate? We've been asking this question for the last several weeks. How do we navigate life when our faith is under fire? And we've been reminded, and we've tried to be reminded over and over again that this is actually not a new phenomenon. This is not um, a result of 2020 and 2021. Jesus actually said, hey, if you are my disciples, you're going to have trouble. In the world you will have trouble, but I give you my peace if you follow me and the world hated me, then they also will hate you. It's not going to be unusual for followers of Jesus to have their faith under fire. So much so um, that God in his grace has offered a record or has kept a record of times where he walked in special ways with people um, throughout history. Even before Jesus was walking on the earth, um, God was active on the earth, and he was walking with guys in a really special way. So we have been looking together at that story, and it's recorded in the book of Daniel. Um, and if you'd like to turn with me, we're going to be reading through uh, a chapter of the book of Daniel and talking about some of the principles there. So it's going to be, we're going to be in Daniel chapter 6. And if you're using these blue Bibles that are either on the chairs beside you or tucked underneath your chairs, that's on page 933. Uh, otherwise, navigate uh, to Daniel chapter 6. And I'll try really briefly to summarize what has happened so far, because we're jumping in towards the end of, uh, of this narrative. Not the end of the narrative, but... <clears throat> so the book of Daniel describes a time where there was a, a special people of God, a special people of God whom God had called to himself and had made them uh, so special he gave them a land... Uh, he gave them a constitution, he gave them a government, and he said, I am going to be your God, I'm going to walk with you, I'm going to live among you, you are going to be my people, we're going to do something special in the world here. Just continue to walk with me. And those people, though they agreed to the promise, so they agreed um, to follow God, 
decided instead that they would follow and chase other things as time went on. And so God continually in his grace kept reminding them, hey, I said, I said, I want you to walk with me. And if you continue to walk the other way, um, I'm going to have to correct you. I'm going to have to correct you. And so Daniel tells the story of when that correction comes. And it comes in the form of an invading army that sets up shop around the capital city and besieges it. They take the capital city. They take families and split the families apart. And they take the best of the, the wealthy class. They take the best young men. And they take them back to their home country to re-educate them. So, and the re-education program is so intense. It's not, it's not just like we want you to have some more information. It's we're going to change your name. Because the name that your mama gave you gives honor and praise to the God of your fathers. And you're not in that land anymore. Your gods were not strong enough to protect your land. You're now in our land. And our gods have conquered over your gods. And so we're going to give you names that reflect the actual powerful gods. Powerful in air quotes. And so we've looked at that situation through the lens of four young men. One was named Daniel, um, and he had three other friends. They're most commonly known to us as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, although those are their Babylonian names. And I didn't write down their Hebrew names. I can't even remember them. So there you go. Um, transparency. Um, so that's where, uh, that's kind of the background to the story. And we've seen, we saw last week in chapter 5 that um, the, the kingdom was taken from the Babylonians. So the Babylonians was a great empire. And then in one night, which, uh, in one night, the straw that broke the camel's back was this act of arrogance that the people would use the vessels of Yahweh, the vessels that were dedicated to him, um, just as regular drinking glasses. And so God, in that moment, said, yep, this is the end of the line for you guys. I'm going to take your kingdom, and I'm going to give it to the Medes and the Persians. This invading army that had taken over other nations now was being invaded and taken over. So that's where we paused last week. Um, and if you weren't with us, you can follow up or catch up with our, our podcast or on our website or on our YouTube page, whatever it is that you enjoy um, consuming things on. But before we begin, before we take the next step in this journey, um, I just invite you to pray with me. And it's been our habit to pray together the disciples' prayer. This is the model of prayer that Jesus left for us. It's not a, a magic spell or anything like that, but it's something that Jesus said, hey, if you guys are going to pray together, you should pray this way. Um, and I, I'd try to take him seriously. So um, if you'd pray together with me, um, you can use your, your uh, voices, but at the very least, would you bow your hearts and pray together with me? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Daniel chapter 6, beginning in verse 1. It pleased Darius, Darius the new king, um, it pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be throughout the whole kingdom and over them three high officials, of whom Daniel was one, to whom these satraps should give account, so that the king might suffer no loss. 
Then this Daniel became distinguished above all the other high officials and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him. And the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Then the high officials and the satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom, but they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful and no error or fault was found in him. Then these men said, we shall not find any ground for complaint against Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. Then these high officials and satraps came by agreement to the king and said to him, O King Darius, live forever! All the high officials of the kingdom, the prefects and the satraps, the counselors and the governors, are agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever makes a petition to any god or man for 30 days except you, O king, shall be cast into a den of lions." Now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Therefore, King Darius signed the document and injunction. We'll pause there together. We talked last week about how Daniel had survived a transfer of power from one king to another, which is something that we tend to take, uh, take for granted, that when um, there's an election or something like that, that there's usually a peaceful transfer of power in our country. That is unusual throughout all of human history and even in other parts of the world in the modern era. And so for Daniel to have survived a transfer of power, being somebody that was highly promoted in this regime, a new regime comes in and he still is around, is kind of a big deal. But in this chapter, remember that regime that he had survived in now has been taken over. And so he's not only in a new regime of somebody from the same line, the same dynasty, the same family, he's actually in a competing regime. But he doesn't just survive, he thrives. Do you see that? Darius says, like, I'm going to, all right, I, I, this is too much to manage. I need 120 satraps. They're kind of ruler people. Like, they're going to be over governors and provinces and things like that. And I'll need 120 of them. And then I'll put three guys that will be over the satraps. And Daniel's one of the three over the 120. He doesn't just survive. He thrives. He's, he's, uh, and then among the people that are going over the satraps, he becomes the most favored one. God gives him an excellent spirit, and he does, he does good work. And so he not only survives this change, which um, we saw in the last chapter uh, was violent and ruthless. He not only survives it, but he thrives, and he's doing good work. God is watching over him. Um, so much so that his coworkers are frustrated like, this guy's too good. Like, he's making us look bad. We got we to gotta figure out how to get rid of him. Not, and not only is it his coworkers, the people that are on the same level of him, the people that work for him are also conspiring against him. Like, he's up there doing the best job, like the most successful manager, doing the best job of anybody on the board, and everybody's saying, like, this guy's too good. We got to get rid of him. But they keep looking at his books. They keep looking for those places where he's taking a little bit extra off the top or setting something aside for himself or where he's being just a little bit dishonest. They're going through it with a fine-tooth comb to try to find some mud that they can sling on his name, and they keep coming up with nothing. A thorough investigation of all his books discovers that 
we're not going to have a chance to accuse this guy unless it has something to do with his God. That's, that's the only shot that we've got. He's still faithful to that, that, that Yahweh God from Jerusalem. Even though he's in Babylon, he's been in Babylon for decades. He's still worshiping that one God that got conquered years and years ago, whose people are still in exile, who's not strong enough to bring them back. He's still faithful to that God. That's, that's, the, only, that's, that's, all, that's the only thing we can think of. It's going to be something like that. And I think it's interesting that they then uh, turn to the king, Odarius, like, hey, you are really, really great. Like, you're so great. Wouldn't it, be, wouldn't it be cool if, like, for 30 days, for one month, we had, like, like Darius month, where nobody can, can ask anybody for anything unless they're asking you. Like, they can't even pray to their gods and ask for help about something. Like, we want them to pray for you, pray to you. Like, we're going to set you, like, Darius, you're, you're the best. You conquered Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom, Babylon, like, Medes and the Persians. Like, you guys are on top. And so for 30 days, wouldn't it be awesome like if, if you were just the man across the board? And Darius hears that. He's like, oh, yeah, you guys are right. Sounds good to me. And he signs it into law. There's a, 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 a little bit of a disconnect here that I'll, I'll explain to you for us. If the, the legislative branch, if, the, if Congress passes a law that we don't like, there's a whole process through which we can uh, try, to, try to correct that law. We can either edit it or we can have it revoked. In their world, the way that their thing worked, they didn't have a legislative branch. There was no balance of powers. There was just all authority is given to the ruler of the kingdom. And if he made a law, it could not be changed and it could not be canceled. So Darius starts this month of Darius and everybody's locked into this. And the penalty is right there in the law. If anybody violates this, they're going to get thrown into a den, into a cave with a bunch of hungry lions. And that's going to go great for them. So it happens. So as I'm thinking through this, as I'm chewing on this, as I'm looking at this story, the question comes to mind, like as we're looking at people that um, might be hostile towards us, or we're working with people that are... are, are, are um, hostile towards our faith, people that we work with, people in our family, people at school. What accusations could be leveled against us in our work? If someone hacked into our computer and had all of our internet history, if they had all of our financial accounts and um, there was a, a written record somewhere of even all of our cash transactions, what accusations could be leveled against us in our work? If the microscope came upon us, would there be anything to hang an accusation on? I told you I get frustrated about Daniel. Because Daniel's one of, I can only think of three characters, three people that are described in the Bible that they don't say anything negative about. Remember, I like the real. <laughs> I like to know, like, what the, I want to talk about what's in the shadows. I want to call those things by name and confront them. And, and Daniel walked in such a way that when Scripture talks about him, they just say, yeah, he was blameless. There, there is no um, dark side to Daniel. Daniel. 
We combed through his books, and everything was clean. And I don't know if, if that's even possible. <laughs> I, I suspect he was a man just like us, and that he did have faults that Scripture just chose not to record. But for us, as we look at the one who was without fault, as we look at Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, and we say, I, I strive to be a Christian, a little Christ, a, a mirror version of Jesus, does that play out in every area of my life? What accusations could be leveled against us in our work? Let's continue reading in verse 10. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house, where he had windows in his upper chamber, open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. Then these men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and plea before his God. Then they came near and said before the king concerning the injunction, O king, did you not sign an injunction that anyone who makes a petition to any god or man within 30 days except to you, O king, should be cast into the den of lions? And the king answered and said, The thing stands fast according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be revoked. Then they answered and said before the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles of Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or the injunction that you have signed, but makes his petition three times a day. Then the king, when he heard these words, was much distressed and set his mind to deliver Daniel, and he labored till the sun went down to rescue him. These men came by agreement to the king and said to the king, Know, O king, that it is the law of the Medes and Persians that no injunction or ordinance that the king established can be changed. Then the king commanded, and Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions." The king declared to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve, continually deliver you. And a stone was brought and laid over the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet and with the signet of his lords, that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. Then the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. No diversions were brought to him, and sleep fled from him. So, the temptation is a little compromise for Daniel. He knows, he's aware of the law. This is not something that happened under, like he knows when it gets signed, which makes me think, the way that that's worded makes me think that Daniel knew that they were going on their way anyway. They knew that this was their plan before they ever got it up to the king. And so now he knows that the plan has been carried through, that, that the law has been signed, and so, what does he do? Exactly what he always did. It was his habit to pray three times a day. It was his habit to pray in his upper chamber. It was his habit to pray towards Jerusalem, towards home, towards the place where the presence of God had resided in a special way in Jerusalem with his windows open. So with the world conspiring against him, he decided... Take the next step to do the same thing that he had always done, to remain faithful to that. 
And the temptation, is, can't you hear, I can hear myself justifying this. It's just for 30 days. It's just one month. And, and they don't know what's going on in my heart. Like, I can, I can still pray in my heart, and like, God will hear my heart. God knows my thoughts. Like, I just, I just stay quiet. I don't, have, I don't have to ask Darius for anything. I can just make my petitions known to God in my heart, and, and, and that'll be fine. It's just for 30 days. That's just like a, that's just a ceremony. That's just an, an outward expression of something that's happening inward. Like, I, I can close the windows. Or instead of praying in the upper chamber where other people might be able to see me, maybe I'll just pray in the inner chamber on my bed. Like, I can, I can do, I can, I can remain faithful to God. And I wish we had more <laughs> about his thought process regarding his stance. Because to my thinking, there are ways for Daniel to have been remained faithful to Yahweh without doing what he did. But it was the very representation of his faithfulness to be in a foreign land to have survived regime changes, to have thrived within various governments, and to continue to point the people back to Yahweh as the source of his wisdom, as the source of his strength, as the source of his endurance, to continue to be unashamed that when asked, he says, these things are impossible. But there is a God. And that God is in Jerusalem. And I will continue to point people in that direction. And you will not. You, will, you can do anything that you want to me, but you will not stop me from pointing people back to where the source of life is. If I prayed with my, my, my doors closed, you may think that I think that my strength comes from me and that my help comes from Daniel, but my help comes from the Lord, the Most High God, the Maker of heaven and earth. Daniel knew what principles he was going to live by, and he knew what their priority was. He not only knew principles of how to walk out his faith, he knew what priority other things would take. Why, why do I say that? Because he worked in government. <clears throat> like, don't, don't miss that. I said, okay, I said when we started this that the biggest miracle in the book of Daniel was that they ate vegetables and they gained weight. Remember that? The, the, the bigger miracle, I think, in the book of Daniel is this man worked in government for decades and still had integrity. And that was before people had cell phones to catch you in the act of stuff. Like, there are people who don't have integrity, but you might think that they do because they know how to manage and they know how to do um, that public relations game. They can make things look really, really good even though everything is wicked on the inside. We know this. But that's not Daniel. Daniel doesn't have a facade on Facebook. He just has that integrity. He knew what principles he lived by, and he knew what priority there were. He was in government, and he had integrity, and he served well people that gave no honor to his faith and no honor to his God. 
He lived within a culture that was like hostile to his faith, and yet he thrived within it. If I say to you that Daniel didn't wage a culture war, do you understand what I mean? Daniel didn't live and die by what they let him put on his t-shirt. He lived and died by what God was doing in his soul. Can we name what hills we'd be willing to die on? I, I try real hard not to be alarmist. <laughs> it's within the realm of possibility that us gathering together in a public space like this might not be, not, might not be a, a thing that's possible for us forever. And I don't know the mechanisms of how that might work. Can we name what hills we're willing to die on? If our culture becomes increasingly hostile to our faith, so much so that they're willing to set up traps specifically related to the way that we express our faith, do we know what hills we are willing, literally, to die on? I'll just give you a sneak peek. The next series, what we're going to be looking at in the next six weeks are what are our priorities? What are our values as a community, as neighborhood church? What are, what are our values? We're going to spend six weeks working on that, and hopefully that will help us to think through that. But notice, too, it's not just about your faith and how God perceives you. That is, that's an important component. I would say it's probably the most important component. But do you notice that the outsiders, the people who do not have faith, care? What's the king doing? He's trying to figure out how to change the law. He works all night long trying to do something he knows is impossible, looking for a loophole, looking for a way to change what he got tricked into. And when it comes down to it, he can't. Sovereign ruler of, the, of, of Persia can't. May God whom you serve, may your God whom you serve continually deliver you it is what it is. What's done is done. But he doesn't go back to the palace and get hammered. He's not smoking something to calm down. He's not having um, concubines in to distract him from the concern that he has for Daniel. This pagan king spends the night fasting and doesn't sleep. As we think through what hills we are willing to die on, understand that the, the integrity that we have and the way that we walk out our faith will matter to people whether they share that same faith or not. Let's continue reading in verse 19, Daniel chapter 6, verse 19. Then, at break of day, the king arose and went in haste to the den of lions. 
As he came near to the den where Daniel was, he cried out in a tone of anguish. The king declared to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you from the lions? Then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouths, and they have not harmed me because I was found blameless before him and also before you, O king. I have done no harm. Then the king was exceedingly glad and commanded that Daniel be taken up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den, and no kind of harm was found on him because he had trusted in his God. And the king commanded, and those men who had maliciously accused Daniel were brought and cast into the den of lions, they, their children, and their wives. And before they reached the bottom of the den, the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones in pieces. I'll pause there. We've seen throughout this book that God's not held captive. Even though his people are in exile, his people have failed to follow him, God is not held captive. He's not in chains. He, he can continue to work. And there's some fascinating parallels between what's happening here in chapter 6 and what we looked at a few weeks ago with the fiery furnace. Um, that there was an angel in the den... In the darkness, in the shadows, when I feel alone, there was an angel present with Daniel that was taking care of the threats. I don't know how he knows that. I don't know if he was like a nightlight. But I do know that he's confident that there was somebody there with him. And I know it's not in the text. But that sounds a whole lot like Jesus to me. That Jesus would be present in in a place where somebody is faithful and standing firm. That he would show up in a way that's physical. Like, that's the thing about Jesus. There are other um, kinds of religious ideas where, um, (laughs) where the gods show up. But Jesus is the God who shows up in the flesh who almighty creator of the universe chooses to be born as an infant to a family in poverty and lives among us to demonstrate his great love for us. Jesus is the God of the incarnation, the the, the being in the body, the dwelling among flesh. Have we heard that before, that God most high actually dwells among flesh? And he cares about what's going on in the world. And so my question is, will will we trust Yahweh? Yahweh is the name of of God as he he reveals himself in the Hebrew scriptures in the Old Testament. And, and, And he goes on in the New Testament in the Christian scriptures to explain that Yahweh is is present on earth in Jesus, the Son of God. Will we trust Yahweh? Will we trust him for salvation? That he would make things right between us and God? That he would eliminate, not eliminate, but he would face head on and conquer the sins in our lives and wash them away so that we can come in an open relationship with God so that we can be embraced by him? 
Will we trust him for salvation? And will we trust him as he chooses to walk with us when we are threatened? Because Daniel is not beginning his walk with God in the lion's den. This is chapter 53. I don't know how old he is. Will we trust Yahweh as we go on? Or do we begin to say, like, God, I'm tired. <laughs> I've seen so much, and things have gone bad. And, and, and yeah, like, I trusted you a lot when I was younger, but, like, th- things are different now. I see things different now. Will we trust Yahweh? Will we put our, our faith in Jesus? Because only the Most High God can truly lift us up. Let's read this last section here of the chapter in verse 25. Then King Darius wrote to all the people's nations and languages that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in all my royal dominion people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel, for he is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed and his dominion shall be to the end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. So this Daniel prospered through the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. Here's our big idea for the morning. Is that Yahweh is the only living God. The culture of Babylon, the culture of Persia was one that they worshipped other gods, but they they actually worshipped statues, um, things built with stone and gold and wood. And they would come and bring these things, they would bring offerings to these things, and they had ceremonies that these things would eat their offerings. And there was a whole show to it. That was how their religious system worked. And this, this king, who has been shoulder to shoulder with Daniel, the faithful one who continues to point people back to Yahweh, comes to the conclusion that the God of Daniel is the only living God. There are other things that we will want to put our trust in. There are other good luck charms that we'll want to keep on our dashboard to keep us from getting speeding tickets. But Yahweh is the only living God. And if God is, and God is alive, and God says, I care about what's going on with you, that changes how we approach things. That changes how we approach our work. That changes how we approach our family. That changes how we approach how we talk to ourselves. That changes how we approach government. That changes how we approach our eating. That that changes everything. And Yahweh is the only living God. 
And this proclamation doesn't come from the lips of a prophet. It doesn't come from the, the lips of a priest that's been sanctioned in Israel and has come up understanding the whole Levitical law and the right way to give praises to, the, to Yahweh. This comes from a foreign king who has almost no knowledge, but the only thing that he can really get his head around is that God lives. I can't see him. I don't understand how it happens, but he is present on earth. He dwells among flesh. He must hold our future in his hands. And in the end, it is the Most High God who reigns over all. We trust the Bible. We keep, we keep coming back to it. But it's not just dusty stories. It's not just religious rules. But it's a repository of God's gracious work in the lives of people. It's a record. Remember when you used to walk into a mall? We don't do that anymore. But when we used to walk into a mall, we'd walk in and there'd be that placard. And uh, it'd be a map of all the stores. Super overwhelming. So when you got up there, there's always what that drew your eye first? A red dot, a red star. There's always labeled, you are here. And what scripture is, is a red dot in our lives that, said, that says, God, God says, I was here, and 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 I was working, and I was loving, and I was caring, and I was providing, and I was here, and I'm here today now, and I'm asking you, will you please just trust me? I was here. And I wasn't, I wasn't far away. I wasn't sitting on a cloud. I wasn't waiting for you to get your act together. I am the God who dwells among flesh. I came down to you. I put myself on the line. I gave my son. Will you trust me? I am the only living God who went toe-to-toe with death and walked away. You can trust me with that too. Will you trust me? Would you pray with me? In every valley, you have been faithful to provide. And even in in darkness, you scatter shadows with your light. And in every season, you have sustained me with your word. And like a good shepherd... You lead me steady and secure. God, look at what you've done. You've been here all along. All through the fire, all through the flood, all through the caves. Your love is surrounding us. Lord Jesus, would you convict our heart to trust you? You literally have the whole world in your hands, and yet we think that we can manage our little corner better. Lord, would you lead us to trust you? Would you help us to surrender? For those of us that you are challenging and pushing on that to be the first time that we begin 
that conversation, to begin that trust. Lord, I pray that you would give us that faith to follow. And for those of us who are weary and burdened and tired, and we wonder if you've taken your hand off the plow or if you've just turned a blind eye, Lord, would you remind us? Would you remind us of your great love that pursues us? God, we need you. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Um, let's take a few minutes and we're just going to reflect or have some space to reflect on how God is speaking this morning. Um, we'll take a few minutes and just be quiet before we close together in singing.